Hey, welcome back. This is Luke Humphrey with the Luke Humphrey Running Podcast. And I don't have a real in-depth discussion today about something fancy like nutrition or training for your first marathon or anything like that. But uh, I do have, which many of you asked for, my race recap from Glass City at the end of April. So 428. So I'm only like three weeks away off from that. So that's not bad, right? Uh, you know, a lot of you find your, a lot of you ask me about my running, which I find interesting because uh, I feel like it's rather boring. However, I do agree that uh, things that I go through as a runner and um, our perspective of, of good is relative. So many of you think that I'm a good runner, yet I don't see myself as a, as a, as a good runner per se when I compare myself to my peers, right? So it's all relative. So to me, it's pr- fairly boring. But I do think it's interesting from the fact where, you know, you hear a lot of professional runners uh, talk about, you know, their day and all these things that they do during the day as far as training goes. And as an average person, you're sitting there and thinking, well, okay, I don't have 30, 40 hours a week to dedicate to running, you know. And and I get that. I mean, because I, you know, I th- you know, not to say I'm, I'm elite or anything like that, you know, maybe at one point in my career, I was considered elite. But you know, at this point, I'm a, you know, I'm roughly a 220 marathoner, I'm almost 40 years old. And I run a business and I have employees and have a family and all those things. And so I think I do think from that aspect, it is it is an interesting topic to talk about, because, you know, I'm still running a lot training hard and, and still running fairly well, considering all the extra things going on in my life. So uh, I do I do recognize the fact that, you know, that is it is encouraging for for other people uh, to take something from that. And really, you can kind of learn. Well, one, how I guess what I would say is learning how to make it a priority without necessarily sacrificing other things, you just get better at cutting out the things that really aren't that important in your life, right? And so, you know, that's essentially what it's taken me to get to this point is finally cutting out everything that really was not necessary or important to me anymore and keeping the things that are a priority in my life a priority. And um, and so in any case, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Glass City and leading up to it. So uh, as many as you, many of you know, I ran Cal International at the beginning of uh, December and then took some time off. So I ran 220.27 there, which uh, if you, you know, if you look at my splits there, you, you see a, um, uh, a mile in there that's about 30 seconds slower than the others in the first eight miles. And that was uh, um, a, a bathroom break. So uh, if you take that 30 seconds off, I, I ran, you know, a little under two, probably ran a little under 220 actual running, t- running time. But uh, it is what it is. So that was actually a first in my career that I've ever had to stop for the bathroom. But uh, I know that, you know, maybe it's my middle age catching up to me. So, uh, but I took some time off, you know, and I was, I was going through a lot of life changes as well. And, and, um, you know, there was a lot going on. And so really running took a backseat, my priority list. So um, beginning of December through probably mid January, I was just kind of running. And to be honest, I didn't really miss training. I, I, I still enjoyed getting out. You know, I ran 
you know, 30, 45 minutes a day, an hour here and there, you know, it was, it was really, there was no rhyme or reason to what I was doing. And I didn't mind that for that point. That was the first time in probably 20 some years where I wasn't training for something. Right. And so, and there wasn't really a plan moving forward. So it was kind of a relief, you know, it was kind of a lot of weight off my shoulders where, you know, before it was like a lot of pressure to be on a team, to perform, uh, to feel the repercussions of not performing, not really from anybody like Kevin or Keith or anybody like that. I mean, they were definitely incredibly supportive of, of the things that I did, um, but more on myself and, and kind of justifying that in terms of sacrifices that my family was making. So, um, so I didn't, I didn't necessarily miss it. You know, I was fine being, you know, just dad, you know, and making lunches and sending the kid off to school and then going for a 30 minute run. You know, I was fine with that, you know? Um, but you know, over time it, everything kind of s- sorted itself out and I, you know, I got accustomed to my routine cause that's one of my big things is like, it takes me a very long time to get into a routine and then make that a consistent routine. Um, and so when that routine changes, I mean, that's, you know, in my mind, that's life shattering, right? So I, I deal with that very poorly. And so, uh, it took a while to kind of get the new routine and like, um, recognize that actually my life was really a lot better than what it was, you know, because I wasn't waking up rushing to get to a workout, rushing to, um, try to help out with things around the house and things like that. You know, it was just way more laid back, but it was different. And it was the difference in my routine that made me kind of freak out a little bit, but I got over it. And with that, when that kind of settled itself, then I became, um, a little more in tune with, with training. So, um, you know, for a long time, I, I was selfish with running. Uh, I'd left a lot of daily tasks for my, for my wife. And that always made me feel guilty over time. And I think it was things like that really affected, our feelings towards each other. I mean, I don't know if they would go say as strong as there was resentment towards each other, but there was definitely kind of like, oh, okay, well, you're going to, you know, and like, it's not like you're bringing in, you know, $100,000 a year to support the family. It wasn't even like, you know, it was much, much less than that. And, you know, and, and, but in, in any case, it was just like, you're making these huge sacrifices. And then, yeah, you work really hard and there's something to say in that, but you have to balance that with, everything, everybody else around you as well. And I, I definitely didn't do that very well for a long, a long time. Um, you know, and I've always been an early riser, but it's always usually a scramble. And I, you know, I talk getting to the morning runs and things like that. So now I was getting up at the same time. You guys were getting up at 5am before I'm getting up at five now, but I could take, get up at five now, spend two hours, you know, kind of by myself, you know, reflect, read, um, prep for the day, and 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 get some product productivity too. So like I like before noon. If it's before noon, I'm really productive. Like that's my high productivity time, and I can just get a lot of really important stuff done. And so that's what I would do. I take two hours, and I would just get my daily routine in as far as like for myself, my personal stuff, and then I would spend you know like an hour and a half on a project. You know, like so like like right now, my big project is I'm trying to write a lot of schedules from. Um, the imperial system to the metric system, and I'm trying to do that. So that's what I do in the morning. Like I'll I'll spend a couple hours in the morning and write a schedule or two, um, and get that in final surge, and then get it ready to go. And so I'll always do that. Make sure that that's my big my big project. So I can get a lot done before even before nine o'clock. And then I'd get Josephine up, make her lunch, get her dressed, 
you know, the Nikki would come or brush her hair or whatever, and then they'd go to school, leave at 8.30. I'd be out the door by between 8.30 and 9 and go for a run from the house. So in reality, I was only running like 30 minutes later than what I would with the guys, but I wasn't driving anywhere. And I was just, and I was at home getting stuff done and then just getting out the door. Um, anyway, I'd say mid-January, I started to get the desire to train again. Um, I, but I knew I was going to have to approach things a little differently. Um, and not the philosophy, because, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in the philosophy. Everything I learned from Kevin and Keith, I believe wholeheartedly. Um, I think that is, especially when you talk about the marathon, I think I, it, I, it could be dead wrong, but I believe in it so much that you can't change. You know, like, I'm like that meme where it's the guy sitting at the table, you know, and change my mind, like, go ahead and change my mind, try it. You know, it's not, it's not going to happen, but, uh, um, but I was looking at, I've done two marathons. I did two marathon segments in 2018. So I ran Cal and then I ran uh, Bayshore, which is in Michigan, um, in May. And then I'm looking back at it now and I hadn't even really thought about this. So I started writing this out and, you know, I did two in 2017 as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, you know, basically four marathons in, in two years. And that was a lot, you know, and, um, I kind of went around cause I, you know, you kind of joke around where you're getting older and stuff, but, um, it was interesting, but then I realized I can still handle a lot of the stuff that I used to handle. I just need to approach it a little differently. But, um, you know, I had, I played around with recovery, less mileage because I thought my body couldn't handle it. The truth is, I mean, I don't run 140 to 150 miles a week anymore. I don't, I don't have the desire to do that. And I don't think I need to do that. Uh, but I can run 110 to 120 miles, 100 for sure. Like for me, running 100 miles a week still isn't like I don't necessarily have to make, go out of my way during the day to get 100 miles a week in. Um, it's fairly not easy, but it's fair. It's fairly easy to schedule in, and I can do it that way. 120. Now I'm working a little bit harder, but that's more making sure I get more all my afternoon runs in and things like that. But it's still very, very, very doable. Um, However, so aside from that, I'd done a ton of marathon work. I had a ton of marathon work in my system. So I want to I wanna just get faster. And I think that's a lot with getting older is you just drift away from doing faster stuff and you just stick to you, what you know you can handle. Um, and so I want to get faster. I think if I get faster, I can run faster in the marathon too. And um, so that's kind of where I was at. I want to get to the point where five-minute pace feels comfortable, where I can do that in a workout and feel comfortable again it's been a long time since I've been there and I want to get back to that place and I think I, I still think I can and just seeing <coughs> excuse me people like just seeing people like you know Jim Walmsley thing like that like I saw him at Houston ran 104 flat or 10359 or whatever it was and like he's a year older than me like why can't I do that you know, and I, I, you know, I don't necessarily care to run 103.59, but I, like, why can't I run under 105 again or something like that, you know? Um, and then, so I, I just knew I had to approach it differently um, and I wanted to do some more fast stuff. And then, you know, I was starting to train like mid-January, first part of February. And of course, it was a pretty nasty winter here. So a lot of things were just simulated efforts. They were on the treadmill. Um, you know, I'd do a lot of like three times 10 minutes and just make the grade as high as I could and the speed as fast as I could and just take it what I could get out of it, you know? Um, and then when I got outside, I tried to run faster just for my own, uh, mental status. Uh, and I would say during the last six weeks, I was able to get in the staple workouts. I got a simulator in it. So I did a half marathon locally 
and ran, you know, under 109. I felt pretty confident about that. I ran solo. Um, it was cold and windy. And I, and I did it by myself and it felt okay. Um, and then I did a two by six miles by myself um, in the same type of thing. It was fairly cool, windy, um, but I knocked it out. Um, and I felt pretty confident in at least my ability to run respectable. But honestly, I knew going into this it was going to be a little bit of a crapshoot. So um, I would say overall, I averaged about 105 miles a week from uh, February through like two weeks before the before the race. So I, I think I, I think I counted it was like 10 or 12 weeks um, that I averaged about a, over 100 miles a week. So not bad by any means, but it was still a little less than what I averaged for CIM and about the same what I averaged for Bayshore um, the previous May. And uh, I felt good physically, but my back was in decent shape. My head was clear. Um, stress levels were down a lot. And so, you know, going into Glass City, I had two goals. And one was to try to compete for a win. And the second one was to try to run under 220. And I felt like if I could do uh, one or both of those, I'd be in pretty solid, pretty solid shape. So, um, so you know, that was it. Not the training in a nutshell. You know, I a lot of simulated efforts. The structure was probably a little less and mileage was um, a little less as well. So, but uh, it uh, it it was it was good enough, right? It was good enough to get me to the starting line and in pretty decent shape. All right. So, uh, the nice thing about Glass City is it's very close to our house, about an hour away from our home. And uh, Nikki and I got a hotel room in Toledo. And if luckily for us, hotel rooms in Toledo are not very expensive. Um, it's interesting because Glass City is actually more at the University of Toledo and not downtown Toledo. Um, so it was kind of interesting there. So it wasn't necessarily in the city. Um, and we were right next to the Toledo airport, which I didn't even know Toledo had an airport. So it was it was a fairly cheap hotel room. Uh, and especially considering what we spent on hotel rooms for Boston a couple weeks before that, whew, it was nothing at that point. It's like, okay, what's another, you know, I think I don't even know what we paid for it, like 75 bucks, but um, it was a lot, a lot less than what we paid in Boston. So, um, so it was good, but it was nice to just get down there the night before. Uh, it's an early morning race. I think it was right at seven uh, for the race. And uh, so we went out and did that. I actually worked for two hours at the expo per what the uh, elite athlete coordinators wanted for, for Toledo. Um, and this is a little side note, and this is just kind of me getting on a soapbox. So um, I was there and we got an email that said, you know, they really wanted us to work two hours at the expo as part of our um, elite entry into Glass City. No problem. Um, but I was there. I was there for my two hours and I was the only one there. I, I was, I'm curious to find out if um, the uh, local Kenyan training group that was there, I want, I would like to know if they showed up at all on um, Saturday because I was there from noon to two and uh I saw nobody before or after. Nobody, definitely nobody came in to take my shift. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. And that was kind of, that was supposed to be part of the requirements if you want to get paid prize money. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But in any case, I did my, I did my duties and uh, it was fun. I met a lot of people running their first time marathon. So it was good to, uh, to meet those folks. But uh, so we did that and then, you know, basically went back and got ready for the morning. So um, the night before it got cold, it rained all night, um, which was better than snow. I think if I would have been at home, it would have been snow. Um, but it was cold in the morning, 36 degrees, but the rain had stopped. It was still windy, 10 to 15 mile an hour winds, uh, gusts up to 20 plus. So it was chilly for sure. 
Um, but honestly, I was glad it wasn't 75 degrees. I feel like every race I've run in the last four years has been, you know, like hot and humid and just nasty. Um, and I think at the starting line, it was about 39 or 40 degrees, but the wind, the wind was definitely still there. And so it was going to be, uh, it was going to be a doozy for sure. All right. So I stood on the starting line, pretty calm. I did my little warm up before 10 minutes, stood in line for Portage on all that good stuff. So it was really interesting for me because it's, you know, I'm getting to the point where I run smaller races and I've been spoiled so much in my previous career. Um, so it's now I'm learning things that I probably should have learned a long time ago, but, um, we did it. We got on the starting line. Um, I was calm, but, but a little anxious to get going. I just wanted to see how things were going to unfold. Um, and then also a little bit of self-doubt, you know, it just always creeps in at the last minute, like what, you know, I should have done this. I should have done that, all that good stuff. So, um, a little bit of confidence break, but it's still fairly calm. Um, half marathon, full marathon, they run together for the first nine to 10 miles. So I knew, I knew going in, there was going to be people to run with to start. Cause you never know, like before the winter was, you know, two twenty one. And then behind it, there, you know, it's like a four minute break between people behind them, you know, so you don't, you never know what you're going to get in these, these size races. Um, but going with the half marathon there too, I knew there was going to be some people there. Um, you know, so the race starts, gun goes off, you know, all the local heroes are blowing by. Um, and so there's, and then also there was, um, there's this group that's, uh, uh, a bunch, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's basically a group of Kenyans that train out of Toledo and there's some out of like Bowling Green and there's like these regional groups of, of, um, um, of Kenyans, but they're coached in their, their air quotes agents, um, are from the U S and they put the, they just bring these guys in and it's strange because these guys, they either get popped after a few years for drugs or they uh, just don't go to any races with with any drug testing. So you know, you look at the resumes of these guys, and it's like, oh, I won the the uh, you know, won Glass City, or I won, um, you know, one the one guy ran, ran the Columbus Marathon, and like none of these places offer drug testing at all, right? And so, you know, again, it's on my soapbox a little bit, but um, so basically, when I was when I was uh, decent, uh, USADA could show up on my door. Or, anywhere, any time of the day, 6am to like nine at night. And if you weren't there, you had an hour to get there, or it was considered a failed test. And these guys aren't US citizens, and nobody tests in Kenya, there's no out of competition testing in Kenya, there's nobody coming from uh, WADA to test these guys in the United States when their home address is Kenya. Um, so it's just always interesting. And I, you know, it's hard to say who knows with these guys, but it's just it's just kind of that cloud kind of follows them around because a lot of these guys get popped at some of these races and then uh, and nobody seems to really care and then they they get a you know fictitious you know just ban and but who knows you know they're still competing or whatever um, so anyway you get that and so there was like I don't know 10 or 15 of these guys there and so I kind of knew what was gonna happen you know it's gonna turn into one of those things where they're just going to run as fast as they have to to win. And I actually feel bad for a lot of these guys just because they're, they're in such crappy situations where, you know, they're just over here trying to make a living for their family, right? And then these, these you know, guys that call themselves coaches and agents, they basically just race these guys twice a weekend during the spring, summer, and fall, take, you know, 75% of what they win and then give them a couple hundred bucks a month to send home to their family, you know, and it's a, it's a joke and it's a, you know, so I don't, 
I don't have any ill will towards those guys. It's more of the coaches and agents that are overseeing these things um, because they're dirty and they're taking advantage of people. They're exploiting people, and it's just it's a bad situation. So I just don't support it one bit. Um, but you know, these guys' defense—if they're going to race two or three, like the guy that won Glass City, he had to race the day before in the five k to make two hundred bucks. You know, it's like. Well, poor guys got to do, you know, so I don't blame them. They want to run as fast as they have to to win because they know they're going to have to do it again next week. Um, so in any case, gun goes off. You know, a couple guys that were on their own way up, and I knew they were in the half. Um, we started looping around the outside of the campus. I tried to tuck in away from the wind, um, but it was kind of funny. It was very back and forth early on. Like guys would like throw in these surges and then slow down, throw in a surge, slow down, throw in a surge, slow down. I don't know what actually they were trying to accomplish. And we were running into the wind for the most part, so it wasn't like it wasn't like they were getting any kind of break from it or anything. But um, looking at my splits, I was pretty close to five five eighteen pace. Uh, and then I looked five miles five and six or five twelve. Um, but I think that was when we made a left hand turn and we were kind of with the wind for a while, for about two or three miles. So that was uh, probably why those were a little quick. Um, by six miles, uh, a lot of those guys must have tuckered themselves out because. Then they all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all, before I even knew, I was in the front. There was nobody really there, so I just kind of stayed to my game plan. I never really pushed the gas, but I just kept it honest. I mean, you look at my splits: five eighteen, five nineteen for a long time. Uh, but it was cold. It was windy. Field started falling apart. Pretty soon, even even dropped most of the half marathoners. And then it was pretty soon. It was just like three of us. It was my myself and two canyons. And then it was just me and the guy that won. And then we were together for miles. I don't know. 8 to eight to 15 or so, worked through a nice neighborhood and into a big metro park, and we are on a bike path. We were just side-by-side side all the way through 15 miles, never said a word to each other, just ran. I never felt like I was over the edge, but I felt like it was as fast as I could go without getting over the edge. And then we got to mile 15, we came out of the park, made a right-hand turn, and this guy just <clears throat> blasted it. I mean, I still ran 5.15 for that mile. He probably put 20 seconds on me. And it was, it was amazing. Um, I just, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting it. And he just, I mean, he just dropped the hammer and it was like, boom, he's gone. Um, and then to make matters worse, we were dead nuts into a headwind. We were pretty much in that headwind the whole way back. Um, so there was a break and he spent the next two miles putting that distance on me. Uh, at one point it was a matter of just holding on. Um, cause I just, it just stung because he was so far ahead. I didn't really have contact. There was literally nobody behind me. So I'm in nobody around me and it's just a, a lonely spot to be and it's hard to keep your mental focus at that point because there's really there's not it's hard you like you have to keep in your mind you say you just have to keep running your pace and hopefully that guy comes back and hopefully you want to maintain that pace so that third place doesn't kind of catch you um, but it's just a tough tough spot to be in All right, but I am proud that the gap didn't get any worse. So at mile 20, I think 20 or 21, the biker next to me told me that the gap was about 50 seconds. And if you look at the results, that's about where it stayed. Um, as we headed back to campus, uh, my calves were really starting to cramp up. My quads were really starting to get crampy. Um, and I was just spent, I was really just managing myself, just trying to put forth enough effort to get to the finish line. But it honestly, at that point is like, if I picked it up anymore, my calf started twinging, my quad started, started twinging. And it was literally just hanging on as, as best as I, as I could. 
the wind definitely played a role with me. And I looked at, you know, I look, you know, I'm like you guys, I look at calculators, I look at blog posts and there's this guy, I'll have to look it up and get the, the link to it. But this guy's got a whole algorithm about, you know, headwinds and things like that. And, you know, headwind, a headwind is going to make your effort higher, right? So when you look at in terms of intensity, you know, say you're running at 75% VO2 max with no wind, uh, a 10 mile an hour headwind is going to make it that intensity that much harder, right? You know, it, it might make it uh, an 80% or 85% effort. And you, you factor in that over 10 miles, it plays a big role. So, you know, you look at it from a term of like maybe if it was 10 to 20 seconds a mile that this would throw in, but then you factor in the fatigue you already have in your legs, the, you know, the lack of fuel, the more fuel that's needed to keep the same pace within that higher intensity, it all definitely adds up. So um, I think it's just some kind of, it's just a combination of everything going on. But um, all in all, I ran 222 high, second place, competed for the win for a long time. And really, you know, I'm honestly disappointed. I really want to try to win. I, 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 I went to Bayshore to try to win. I went to Glass City to try to win. You know, and I, I really, I really want to try to win a marathon. You know, it's nice being at, you know, top 10s and, you know, top 15s at all these, at these major marathons, but it's always, you know, it's nice to win a race too. So it was a big, that was a big one. I, I didn't necessarily think sub 220 was going to happen um, just because of the course, as far as the competition, everything like that. And just how my buildup going into it, I, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent certain that was going to be possible, but, you know, I felt like, you know, your, your, your body remembers a lot of things and sometimes lightning can strike. So you can get a hold of a good one and let it rip, but, um, wasn't in the cards, but still got one of those big cardboard checks, which was cool. Um, I actually put it in my garage above my workbench, but, uh, uh, it was good. It was a good time. My wife ran her first marathon in a long time. And, um, so we both, both kind of got back in the saddle, uh, post-race, you know, So now's the time for too much information. Uh, I didn't pee for almost two hours after the race. And when I did, it was so brown, I thought it was blood. Uh, I am telling you this because I think I, I think it's important. Why? Because I really dehydrated, dehydrated myself really, really bad. And it, it definitely had an effect too. So when I talk about the wind having an effect, the fatigue and all that, being that dehydrated was definitely had an effect. So um, the thing is, I was really good with gels. I took five of my isogenics fuels, one right before and four during the race, but it was so cold that I really couldn't grab the water. Um, and also here's a, <coughs> here's a tip for, uh, if you volunteer to race and hold cups out for people, don't hold them at eye level, hold them like arm level. So I don't have to raise my arm to my head to grab a cup of water. Keep it like natural arm carriage height. And that make it a lot easier for people to take fluids from you. And plus it was so cold I couldn't really grab my I couldn't grab my hands really you know, over time, you know, your hands are all that heat and blood's gonna shut away from your hands into more to your uh, your legs and stuff and it just it just makes it harder to grab. Um But uh I you know, I'd say I'd be surprised if I took ten ounces of water during the whole the whole race, um, which is which is bad because 
I should be able to do a much better job. It's such a rookie mistake and it's frustrating and it definitely probably cost me, you know, maybe it might've cost me 50 seconds, you know, and that would have been the victory. Um, but it is what it is. And that's one of the things you always have to look at the big pro the big picture, always be learning, learning from mistakes and growing. So even though you might not be able to get faster, you can get better at what you do. Um, and that's kind of the stage where I'm at right now. Uh, the next three days were pretty brutal. I could barely walk. However, by Saturday, I felt good and went for a run about three miles. Slow, but spring was here. I was wanting to get some warm weather in. And uh, I ran the next week until Mother's Day. My hip was a little sore. Now it's all good. And I'm even doing strides now. All right, so moving forward, I feel like I have one or two more chances at a trials qualifier. Right now, I need to take a step back from the marathon. I want to do some short stuff this summer and get to where I can handle things that I've talked about for, you know, I haven't been able to handle for a long time. Plan is to build up with a 5K and 10K June and July, run Crim in uh, a 10 miler in August. And then from right from there, I'll transition over to marathon training. Then we'll run Indy Monumental on November 9th. And then I think, I think there's going to be a few guys going after sub 219. They got a nice bonus for people who break 219. So that'll usually draw some people in. And I know there's going to be a lot of people in the same boat that I am. So it should be fun. It should be fun with a, a group of guys working together, trying to get the same thing. It's always uh, It always makes the camaraderie in that group a lot stronger, a lot more supportive for each other. Um, and it should be fun. So I also want to get back to doing more strength stuff. I've neglected that. I was good for a while, then neglected it again. But I keep saying it, but that's, that's my downfall. And that's probably the one thing where I falter as far as, you know, trying to manage everything in my day. That's usually the first thing that gets cut out, and it really, it really needs to find a place, even if it's like 15 minutes a, at a time. You just getting something in is going to be better than not getting anything at all. And um, so that's what my big downfall is. But at the begin, at the end of the day, training for Glass City helped me transition into a new chapter of my life. Uh, I didn't win, but I raced hard. I still love running. I like where I'm at with things. Um, and as I approach 40, I feel good about a career that's. Uh, it's still there, but it's just kind of changed into that next phase of things. Uh, and I feel good with a lot of things with my life personally and my family's life. And uh, so like all of you, here's the rest. Here's to the rest of 2019. May it be fruitful. It may be a big education about yourself and what you're able to do. And uh, I hope it's a great year for you. That's my recap. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, guys, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.